Hello everybody, I'm Lisa. And I'm Nick. And welcome to It Takes Two, a podcast where two people take two movies with the same plot or premise and watch and discuss them. And in this week's episode we watched iRobot and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Now you might be saying to yourselves, those are not the same movie, um, but uh, I would argue that they are. Yeah, and here's, here's why. <laughs> the following is why. Um, no, I'll just do, because we'll go over it more as we go through the episode, but the, the best way to describe either of these movies to make it confusing as to which movie you're describing is, um, they are about a detective who is prejudiced against a certain type of entity, um, and then gets involved in a murder investigation because of his prejudice of that type of entity, suspects that it is one of that type of entity, and then ends up um, figuring out that it's not quite who we originally thought. Yeah, so in iRobot, obviously the... Not obviously, but the character that he assumes is the murderer is uh, Sonny, and then in Her Friend Roger Rabbit, it's Roger Rabbit. Yeah, yeah, they're both pretty obvious, because obviously one is a robot, and the other is in the title of the movie, Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so... That's, that's the similarities. Now we'll go into the differences. Um, <laughs> no, there's a lot of differences. Yeah, so, but the main, the main starting out is that we have, um... A... It's detective, is he Detective Dill Spooner, I believe is his name? Is his name, first name Dill? I think it's, I think they just call him Spooner for most of the movie. I'm pretty sure at one point someone called him Dill. Okay. So I think his name is Dill Spooner, which is an interesting okay. name. You'd think we would have worked that out. Yeah, and he hates robots. Yeah. Um, and in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, we have Eddie Valiant, who hates tunes. Uh, so in the world of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, tunes are real, and they, um, you know, car- cartoons are live-action films of tune actors. Which is super bizarre, because that's how the opening starts off. Yeah, it starts off with a, with a like a Looney Tunes-style cartoon, and then it cuts out to you discover that it's the tunes are actors and they're on a set and they've got human directors who are like no you're supposed to or you're supposed to make stars not birds um and then we pan out to eddie valiant um so the way they show these prejudices are different so in i robot it's very show and in who framed roger rabbit it's kind of tell yeah um because in who framed roger rabbit you literally see you know roger talking to his director, and he's all whiny and whatever, and Eddie Valiant is off to the side drinking alcohol, and he, you know, mutters under his breath, and he's like, ugh, tunes, basically. So that's your introduction to him is, wow, he hates tunes. Yeah, the characters differ um, between Spooner and Valiant because uh, Spooner's coming off uh, rehabilitation from a, a car accident, which is where he picked up, I'm, I'm assuming... In the story, most of his prejudice towards robots. Um, he's come off sabbatical from work, uh, from being a detective, uh, with the Chicago Chicago um, Police Force or whatever the whatever the demoniker is in that. Um, he's undergone surgery, which where he gets to know the victim, which was um, Professor Lanning. Lanning. Lanning? Uh, I believe Lanning. Um, I'll double check what I've written down. And, you know, there's a little... The intro to his character, um, you see him working out and having a shower, which is... He's got a nice ass in this movie. 
Um, I can say that as a straight man. Um, <laughs> I literally have a note that says nice ass Will. I didn't even notice it. Um, we were he, both looking at different places. Yeah. Uh, he's into retro shoes, which he wears Converse All-Stars that were circa 1994. And no, no, 2004. 2004, yeah, sorry. Vintage yeah. 2004. Um, which is where the movie was released. See, with Valiant, on the other hand, his introduction is he gone from a... You don't get it straight away because it goes a little bit into his backstory, but his him and his brother Teddy were, um, you know, um, hotshot um, detectives within the police. And I don't know if they were. I think they were private investigators. They were, they were private investigators afterwards. And oh, they, okay. They were the only ones that ever worked with Tombs as, yeah. as human investigators. So Eddie's, Eddie's story is interesting because he was known as a human investigator who would work with Toons and yeah. take cases of Toons and help Toons. But at this point, when we meet him, he hates Toons and he's prejudiced against them because, as we find out later in the movie, a Toon kills his brother. Yeah, and it's he's basically circling down the drain. You know, he's broke. He, his uh, relationship with, obviously, the love interest in this movie is quite strained. And he's become a raging alcoholic to the point where he walks into a room, sees a bottle of liquor and goes straight to it. Yeah, it's interesting because the relationship with Dolores, I think when she's introduced first, I don't know, I don't think it's ever said. I just assumed they were divorced, but then they, um, they're clearly not and they, they're both still in love with each other. Yeah. And I don't know where they ever married and they've separated or if they just were, in a, you know, in a romantic relationship. Um... But yeah, it's interesting because obviously that evolves over the course of the movie as well. Yeah, because you get that in the beginning with they're showing the prejudice like as, rather than telling like you do in Roger Rabbit and Valiant where Spooner sees a robot running down the street with a purse and it automatically assumes that it's committing a crime of theft yeah. and, you know, ends up chasing it and then getting in trouble with his um, superior John, his lieutenant. Yeah, and even then we have we don't have him say, you do this all the time. What he says to him is, you know, he asks what happens and he says, oh, it was nothing. Yeah. And his lieutenant says, it better be the last nothing. Yeah. Which, so we now know this is a recurring incident that he, he regularly it's, assumes robots are committing crimes, even though as far as anyone else knows in this movie, robots are incapable of committing crime. Yeah, it's interesting because both the characters, Spooner and Valiant, are clearly not over the triggering fact that gained their prejudice yeah. um spooner with a recurring nightmare of um being in the car and being in the water and the little girl dying in front of him and him being rescued over the little girl and you know as he says to um uh, calvin later on in the movie uh you know a, a human would have made the decision to pick the girl over me yeah so he says it was um and I think he had a 44% chance of survival and the girl had an 11% chance. Yeah. And what he says is 11% is more than enough a human being would have known that. Yeah. Um, because basically his, in his mind, she is someone's little girl and she deserves saving more than he deserves saving. Yeah. And 11% was enough of a chance to try to save her. Obviously, the settings are very different. Uh, you've got with iRobot, it's a very cyberpunk-esque you know, we've got cyborgs, we've got robots, we've got the same sort of uh, d city design where transit networks have been placed over the top of existing networks because the development is faster, the infrastructure that can handle. Um, you've got the old school 
you know, stone buildings, brick buildings, concrete buildings next to these giant brand new sky, sky, skyscrapers. 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 <laughs> um, versus uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is a sort of set in a period of time, which is uh, 1974. No, 1947. No, I, I literally have 1947 written down and I said you 74. You still said 74. Yeah. This is, I, I think I've been watching too many AK videos. We've, 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 uh... We've accidentally uncovered here the fact that this isn't our first time recording this episode. Yeah. <laughs> we had some uh, technical difficulties, so we're re-recording. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which... But last time you also said 1974. When it's, I, it's I clearly don't... set in 1947. I it's... know, and I've got 1947 written down. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there, there's period-accurate cars, the costumes, every, you know, the, the city looks as it would have in uh, 47. Yeah, it's, it's set up to look like a film noir... And, you know, that's the whole... It's to bring you into that world. It's basically using these kind of signal cues that you're like, that your brain, if you've seen any film noir movies, will go, oh, this is a film noir. This yeah. is going to be a detective story. There's going to be a mystery, you know? And there's also another base settings, which have got uh, the bar that Dolores works in. used to be a speakeasy. Yeah. And, um, so that would have been, what was it, 19... 1920 to 1933, I think, the yeah. Prohibition. So that's that same... Uh, aesthetic there um and we've got obviously jessica rabbit is a bit of our femme fatale yeah another um you know who's now replaced betty boop as like the the in i wouldn't even it's not even a i don't know she's the new hot new performer performer cartoon performer yeah um she works she's at a humans only bar yeah so yeah, so it's, I mean, the, the setup for Who Framed Roger Rabbit is Valiant is brought in to investigate or to get pictures of Jessica cheating um, because Roger's boss, who is Maroon, who's the head of uh, Maroon one, Studios. Yeah, Maroon Studios, one of the cartoon studios in, in Hollywood at the time, um, wants to get Roger's head back on track because Roger yeah. is, is doing bad at his job. Um. So yeah, so so Valiant finds he doesn't want to go to. We learn then he doesn't want to go to Toontown. He yep. refuses to go to Toontown. Yeah. Um, and they say that's fine because Jessica works in a human-only bar. Yeah, and it goes back to a. It's based on a real bar that was set during um, segregation, mm-hmm. which the bar was in a um, predominantly African American uh, neighborhood. With African American wait staff and performers. performers, yet it was a white only bar. Yeah, and it's the exact same thing, except it's everybody's run by everything's run by tunes, except it's a human only bar. Yeah, so you get your penguin waiters. You've got Donald and Daffy Duck playing a, a piano duet on stage. Yeah. You've got people behind the bar are, are cartoons, and then the, you know Jessica Rabbit comes out, and it's real creepy because you get like Acme, who's the head of the other studio in town. Um, like showing up to watch Jessica do this, basically like a no, it's not quite a striptease, but it's like it's uh, more cabaret. Yeah, 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 a little bit cabaret. It's but it's very, it's supposed to be very like sultry. Yeah. And Betty, what Betty Boop says to Eddie is that Acme never misses the night that Jessica's on stage, and yeah. it's, it becomes very creepy. Uh, because obviously they are making a commentary on, um, segregation and. Um, racism and prejudice and iRobot does as well and it's interesting because obviously in iRobot your main character who is 
the person who is prejudiced is a black man. Yeah. So that's an interesting choice to have made, and his lieutenant is a black man. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to know why they actually, or if that was a conscious decision to cast a black actor as your main, you know, as, as the racist of the movie, essentially. Yeah, and that's an interesting take because it sort of shows that it's become, in the same with um, Valiant, it becomes sort of like a, it's not really speciesism, because I don't think tombs are a species, but like, it's that you can have prejudice without it just being based on race. And there's a, there's a few other, um, I think, Alien Nation, and there's a few others that I can remember, but I just can't remember the names of, where it's literally, you know, racism is just shown through different species rather than... Yeah, District 9 is a big one. Yeah, District 9 is a really good one. Yeah. Um, well, obviously that was making a very big statement about South Africa in particular. Yeah, because there's segments... In, sorry, I'm just going to go on a tangent here. There's segments in District 9 where they literally asked people on the street about their opinions of immigrants into their area from other countries and the reactions that they get are legitimate hatred... Yeah. And they just changed it so they're talking about the, the aliens in District 9. Yeah. I think that's what they did for the... Because did they do a... Sh- I think they did a short first. Yeah. And then made a feature film. And I think for the short, they literally just interviewed people about, like, actual people. And then made it sound like they were talking about aliens. Yeah. So it's... Yeah. It's a really interesting way to do it. Anyway, we're not here to talk about District 9. <laughs> no. Great movie, though. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Because I don't think there's anything that matches District 9 that will fit. No. Um, on the other, yeah, so we've covered what Valiant, how Valiant gets into this, this, um, the plot, and yeah. with uh, Spooner, he's contacted by a video will that was left over by Lanning on the event of his death, and it's a very simple holographic thing you can only answer sort of closed questions to, and it will respond. Uh, back to you. So it just sort of starts off this this trail of breadcrumbs because they use the Hansel and Gretel. Um, analogy quite a lot. Yeah. And to the point where literally a copy of Hansel and Gretel is next to the broken window that he's he's thrown himself through. Um, you learn that he's sort of been a recluse and held up within the building, lead up to the new release of these new robots that are going to replace the old ones. Um, I think the the sort of that that's the sort of catalyst that gets him sort of trying to be a detective and investigate who killed him where everybody else is just like literally signing off as a suicide. Yeah, so it's so it's kind of passed off as a suicide, but Lanning had specifically set up this like electronic will to contact Spooner directly yeah. in the event of his death. Um, and Spooner is a homicide detective with a prejudice against robots. Yeah. Um, so at that time, he, he's like, well, why do you contact a homicide detective if it's whatever? But there's a moment later on um, where some other stuff happens and, um, you know, his 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 boss, his chief, the lieutenant, says to him, like, oh, you know, what are the odds that, a ro- that if a robot did do this, you're the one to find it? And yeah. then he kind of realises wait, it might not just be because I'm a homicide detective, it might be because of my prejudice against robots. He's trying to point me toward the robot. Yeah. There's some interesting uh, sort of... What's the easiest way to put it? There's interesting uh, religious elements that are sort of... From my point of view, I always picked up 
Uh, there's a conversation between when they're investigating uh, Lanning's room um, after he sees the the book, uh, Hansel and Gretel, and you know no one came in, no one came out, so therefore the killer must be in the room. Um, and she's like, well, the only person could have been would have been a robot, and they can't because of the three laws. You know, it'd be the same as a human walking on water. And Spooner's response is, well, one guy did once. Yeah. Um, and later on in the movie, there's a little bit more um, iconography from uh, Catholicism that I find interesting because it's sort of like, you know, the Messiah complex. Yeah. Uh, you get this, how big of an operation uh, USR, did I get that right this time? Yeah. Yeah, USR. <laughs> I think US, it's just United States Robotics. Yeah, USR, USR how massive their infrastructure is and how much everybody relies on these robots, you know. It's the, the the racism shown in it. Well, we'd call it racism because you know AI controlled robots don't exist in our world yet. Um, they're doing all the menial tasks. You know, they're they're your couriers, they're your personal assistants, they're your garbage men. Yeah, it's very much, and that's very much highlighted right at the beginning of the movie, where it's you know the delivery man and then the bin truck and yeah. the, you know every and then it's like when people just have them as, like, personal servants. Yeah. So even the one that he chases down with a purse belongs to this woman, and she had sent it running to go get her purse. Because she, she was having it. an asthma attack. Yeah. And she's also African-American as well, which yeah. is sort of ramming at home um, rather than spoon-feeding I think it. that might be just a little bit of realism, because I think he just visited his, oh, his so grandmother, so I think he was in a black neighborhood. Yeah, that makes sense. So it makes sense that the you know the people that he runs into are also African American. Yeah. Um. But again, it is interesting that, you know, it is. You know, a black woman with a slave essentially. Yeah. When he arrives at uh, USR, he also is introduced to Vicky, who's their like big AI core, which is in control of majority of the infrastructure that's running the city. Yep. Um. She's got like a like a surveillance strip that runs through everywhere where she can see at all times and later on project herself out of, um, and they're helping with the investigation, which is also comes up as very suspicious when it's like, can you show me the feed from in the room and it's all deleted, um, corrupted, is cor- what she said. yeah, corrupted, corrupted, conveniently is, corrupted, yeah, which is um, intriguing. The Introduction to Sunny, uh, which is the special robot that Lanning had built. Um, so he's the first of the NS5s to be active, it seems to be. Yeah. Because they haven't been rolled out yet, but this one is in... Uh, we meet him, he's in the room that Lanning was, you know, leapt from the window in. And it shows quite early on that he doesn't follow the, the three laws of robotics. Yeah, so he... so. Um, Spooner tries to attack him, and then Dr. Calvin, who is, I think she's an assistant to Yeah, because she's, she's uh, I think the description that she gives was that she makes them more human by integrating wet work with software. Right, that makes sense. Um, which she obviously has quite a close relationship with them, because we see later on that there's photos of her and Lanning together and yeah. things. Um, but yeah, so she tells Sonny to deactivate and he appears to deactivate but then when Spooner approaches them with a gun Sonny reacts um, and we re- and then we realise that he is able to bypass the three laws we have I've realised we haven't actually gone over what the three laws are so the three laws of robotics are 
A robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to, to come to harm. A robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings except where such orders conflict with the first law. And a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. So the fact that he's not obeying her order um, shows that he's able to, to ignore those three rules. Mm. And those three rules are, in everyone's mind, what keeps robots subservient. Yeah. Um, jumping over the Who, who Framed Roger Rabbit, you show that Toons can take a, a ridiculous amount of punishment um, having the sequence in the beginning, in the opening, yep. uh, where Roger gets hit repeatedly in the fridge, hit in the head with a fridge, mm-hmm. um, and that the introduction of uh, Judge Doom, who's played by Christopher... Christopher, no. Yeah, Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. I was going to say Christopher Lee. No, it's not Christopher Lee. <laughs> Though he, I believe, was one of the considerations. Yes. Um, and he's figured out a way to kill Toons, uh, which was a mixture of... Um, uh, you had the list. Yeah, I had the actual thing here somewhere. Acetone. Yeah, no, it was turpentine. Was turpentine. We're missing the turbo. Oh, I've got so many notes for for this movie though. Yeah, um, we, we both do. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, so many copied over from um, IMDb, like. Oh right, yeah. Just because there's just so much happens in this movie. Um, where have I written that? Oh yeah, so dip. Oh no. Never mind, I just saw the word dip and got excited, but it wasn't the right note. Dip. So Judge Doom's the person who works uh, (laughs) with the Toons, and he hates them as much as um, uh, Valiant does, but in a different way. Yeah, benzene is in. So turpentine, acetone, and benzene. So they're all paint thinners that are used to move images for cells. Yeah, so we haven't actually gotten to the murder investigation of this. So initially, Valiant is brought into this whole thing because he's hired to take pictures of Jessica. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they show that to Roger, Roger gets upset. And then uh, the next morning, Eddie finds out that Acme has been killed yep. and Roger is the suspect. So this is... Because of the way he dies as well, which is he had a safe dropped on his head. Yeah, he had a safe dropped on his head, which means it's you know, killed by a tune. Yeah. Um, and Roger was known to be angry about him, at him, sorry, because of the Jessica situation, so... I really like that issues. sequence when they show um, Roger the the photos of him and his, wi- uh, his wife and Acme playing patty cake, yeah. and he moves the frame so quickly that it becomes, like, a- Yeah, yeah, animation. it's like a real flip book style, so yeah. it's, it's a very clever, because obviously... That's in, how animation was done. That's how animation is done in real life. And yeah. in the universe of the film, it's not how animation is done because animation is shot on film. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's very clever that they that he flips through the photos as if they're a flip book and you can see, see them playing patty cake. Uh, so, yeah, then he goes over the other photos and he sees, you know, the, the relationship he had with uh, Dolores and he sort of reminisces about his brother. Um and then we sort of jump forward to the event where they're looking for Roger. Um, I think Baby Herman, who's like one of Roger's co-stars, turns up, who's a 50-year-old tune, but, you know, as a baby. Yeah, looks like a baby, but he smokes a cigar and he's 50 years old. Yeah, and uh, he's telling, you know, um, Valiant that he, Roger didn't do it. Um, yeah, so he claims that he was framed. He says that Ackley was planning to leave the whole of Toontown to the tunes in yeah. his will. Um, and that no will was found with the body, and also no tune would have killed him, knowing that he was going to leave tune town to them. Yeah. So uh, there's no way that Roger's done anything. Roger's been framed, um, and 
uh, Eddie doesn't believe him, but then he notices in the photo of Acme on the newspaper, he's got the wheel in his pocket. Yep, which was in the released uh, photos from his investigation and the stuff that they showed Roger. Yep. Um, so when he when he goes back, uh, Roger's in his apartment slash office slash everything, and uh, yeah. they ha- he handcuffs himself to, to him to because he you know he had a reputation of being the only person that ever helped yeah. tunes. Also, it's just fantastic technique for forcing them to really continue you know really go the extra mile with combining the animation with the live action. That yeah. you've got the live action character and the animated character literally handcuffed to each other. They've got that prop handcuff that they have to match up the animation with. Yeah. It's there was a lot of, like, direction of uh, on Bob Hoskins' part, who plays, um, I would guess, the rest of the actors, as well as how they interacted directly with the tones. But, obviously, you get a lot of close-ups with uh, Roger and uh, Valiant, where, yeah. literally, he had to make sure that his hand, when he was gripping Roger, um, was close so the animators didn't have to animate between his fingers. Uh, you get the sort of slapstickness of everything because it ends up, you know, Roger can move very violently and very quickly, um, sort of defining the laws of physics where obviously Valiant's not able to do that and he gets dragged around quite a lot. And, it's, and there's like scenes where the water splashes and, you know, Roger's interacting with live action items. Which mm-hmm. are fantastic. Yeah, and uh, there's a there's literally a term in animation that comes from this movie, and it's um, bump the lamp, because uh, at one point in the movie, there's a scene where they accidentally knock a lamp on the ceiling as they walk in, so the lamp starts swinging, which makes all the shadows move around the room, which meant that when the animators had to match up to the live action footage, they had to add in all these extra shadows and make sure that it moved with the light. Um, so nowadays in animation, they use the term bump the lamp uh, to refer to just going the extra mile to add an effect that will make everything more special and more real, even if the audience aren't going to notice that they've done it. Yeah. I feel like a big example of that for me, that's actually not animation, is um, what we do in the shadows. Because the most expensive shot in what we do in the shadows was where they're just sitting around the dinner table, and it's because they have to go in and hand erase all of their reflections in the table. Oh, yeah, yeah. And probably no one would have noticed if they had left the reflections on the table yeah. but they went in and erased by erased all of the reflections in the table of the vampires this is the same sequence where they do that like challenge off and they both raise up against the roof right uh i think it's the one where they do the the pischetti i think right. it's the scene where they've got all the people over and they and they turn the spaghetti oh, into worms yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um fantastic another fantastic movie if you haven't seen it watch it we have nothing to compare that to, though, because it's a very one-of-a-kind. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, so I think it's interesting then, um, obviously in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, they filmed everything live-action. They use a lot of props where they had to like time the movement of props to then match up animation to it afterwards. Yeah. Um, in iRobot, they use the same technique that they use for Gollum in The Lord of the Rings, so it's all motion capture for the robots. Yeah. Um, so I think they had a lot of stuntmen doing a whole lot of the NS5s. And then for Sony, it is Alan Tudyk himself doing the mocap, doing the facial animation. Or, you know, you know, he is physically acting and emoting and then also doing the voice. Um, yeah, so they took, they took big inspiration from the process that they used for Gollum and just did the, the same thing with Alan Tudyk. The, there's a quite a few quotes that I really enjoy from... Um iRobot that I quote far too much. 
<laughs> but one of them that I really find out when he goes to Lanning's house and he realizes that he hasn't been there for a long time and he checks there's a demo, a demolition robot outside and checks it and then often someone hacks into it and reprograms it to demo the house while he's inside. But there's a sequence where he comes across Lanning's cat and he's like, you know, he sits down and looks at the cat and he's like, you're a cat, I'm black, I'm not going to be hurt again. <laughs> And then it sort of blows at that moment where after the demo of the house and he surfs the like, front door out into the water feature and escapes from the demo robot, he goes to see um, Kelvin and he asks, you know, do you like cats? And he's like, cat, she's like, cats? Cats do this to you? It's like, no, does cat, do cats look like they can do this to me? Because <laughs> he's all covered in blood and dust and stuff. Yeah. Um, well, one of my favourite quotes from the whole movie is uh, actually slightly before that. It's after, so after... When they find Sonny first, he goes on the run, and then they eventually, through whatever, 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 they catch him. Mm. Um, they end up bringing him to the police station, and that that's when his boss is like, you know, the odds that you would be the one to find him, and that's when that happens, that's when he goes off to Lanning's Harlot house. Yeah. But when, when Sonny is at the police station, um, Spooner has a, has a few minutes to interview him before his lawyers show up, and when he goes in, he's talking to him and he's, you know, Sonny is telling him how he, his father was teaching emotions and, you know, he's trying to become more human, basically. And uh, Spooner says to him, can a robot write a symphony? Can a robot turn a canvas into a beautiful masterpiece? And Sonny's response is just, can you? Yeah, which is a sick burn. Oh, it's so good. And he doesn't mean it as a burn, but Spooner's just like, so annoyed by it. Um... Where Sonny is like genuinely asking it, I think. Yeah. Because um, he's very he's very sincere. Yeah. I find that everything Sonny says is very sincere. Um, he's almost childlike, but not quite. Yeah, because it's uh, he's about to sort of start confessing to Spooner in that interview sequence. Yeah. When the when uh, USR and their lawyers and CEO Robertson. Yeah, because Spooner gets him angry and yeah. he like slams down on the table. I and then did he, not murder him. Yeah, and then um, Spooner's like, "That one's called anger. Yeah. Have you done that one before?" Um, and then Sonny says to him, or Sonny starts. That's I think that's where where Spooner starts to to suddenly see things differently because Sonny starts to just like talk to himself and he starts to blame himself for the death anyway. Because he's like he 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 wanted to die. He killed himself. He's like, I thought he was happy. Is it something I did? Did yeah. I do something wrong? And Spooner's kind of going, oh, okay. Um, and that's when you're saying he's almost confessed to him. Because what he mm. said to him was, you have to do what someone asks you to do. Don't you, detective? And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, you have to do what someone asks you to do if you love them. Yeah, and then the door's open and they're you know, yeah. getting Yeah, and then it's, yeah, his lawyers come in and tell him that uh, you he it can't be a murder because uh, murder is defined as a human killing another human. Yeah, which the, the <laughs> lieutenant um, quotes um, later because he's talking about, you know, that like, I remember the good old days where it was only people that killed people. Um, going forward and back in this movie because that's what I like doing because um, <laughs> I never make it easy for the listeners at home. The sequence that I really enjoy in this movie because both movies have car chases. Um, yeah. Which is another simple... Uh, there's heaps of movies. Like, uh, what was it we watched recently that was fantastic? Uh, oh, the What's best, Up, Doc? What's Up, Doc has <laughs> the best car chase sequence. And then I find a lot of movies just plug one in there. Yeah. Like, I remember Babylon AD having a car chase sequence where it clearly didn't need it. It was so bizarre. But anyway, yeah. 
car chase sequence where um, obviously there's not obviously yeah, he's in his cool Audi which has got the round wheels and I always wanted to look into because it was a concept to make them more it was Audi yeah made. Audi Audi made the movie or made the, the that car for the movie yeah um, and it was to try and like get more empathy for their brand or something um I don't know, it's phrased weirdly in the notes. Yeah, the car design, and again, I, I look at, it's like Minority Report for like a futuristic car design, but I, these will really stand out of my mind because I don't know how you would physically propel circular wheels. Um, spherical wheels. Sphere, spherical, thank you. Yeah. Um, Most wheels are circular. All wheels are circular. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a non-circular wheel, you have a problem. Yeah. Because the, there's a lot of concept around, because wheel technology hasn't changed that much in comparison to how much cars have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still rubber, they've still got inflatable internal bladders, you know, that sort of thing where this, this new concept of completely um, spherical wheels is quite interesting because then you show later on that cars are able to drive um, still forward as in with their trajectory, but also not yeah, so the, so the car yeah. is like driving sideways, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And also he spins around it during the, yeah, that's the, the car chase. Sequence. I, I really like that quote, because uh, he gets ambushed by two NS5 uh, cargo vessels that are carrying... Yeah, so this is... There's been other stuff in the meantime, so I think at this point he has changed his mind and doesn't believe Sony did it and believes the corporation are behind things. Yeah. Um, the finger goes from being Sony to now being um, USR. Yeah. Uh, which is how he ends up in this car chase sequence. Yeah. Because he's trying to go... I think he's trying to go to USR at this point. Um, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so the... These big supply trucks or whatever of the NS5, one goes in front of him, one goes behind him, and again, they turn sideways yeah. and block off the whole tunnel. And then the one of the NS5s... Oh, yeah, it opens up and you can see all the NS5s, and he's just like... No one's this unlucky. Yeah. <laughs> And then the NS5, one of them jumps out of it, lands on his car, smashes through his windscreen, and just says, you are, an exper- you are experiencing a car accident. accident. <laughs> He's like, hell I am, and shoots it, and then the, the cool sequence runs. And then we get into a sequence where, you know, his expert driving, um, including doing like a, I don't even know, more than 900, um, spinning in his car, and he gets yeah. away from the two trucks, and the two trucks crash and explode, and then he's in a car accident. And it does. There's a fantastic audio design in there where you follow in, where it will, it will get blown out, and then all comes back in, and you get the tinnitus feeling. Yeah, I think it was really, really, really well done because you, they'd use all contact mics, so it's only the sound of whatever he's touching. So yeah. you can hear it the same way they did the audio in the beginning of Gravity. Yeah. Um, and it's this. So it's this real feeling of there's no proper sound, so you feel like you've lost your hearing. And as it starts to come back, they have they design it with this ringing so that you feel like you've got tinnitus as your hearing is coming back. So you experience that accident with him. Yeah, and then obviously one of the surviving robots from the crashes attack, attacks him, and then you find out that uh, Spooner is actually a cyborg, and one of his arms is uh, cybernetic, and they yep. have like a standoff fight, and the robot's only got one arm, so it's basically one arm versus one arm. And then when the police arrive, it, it uh, destroys itself. And there's another quote in here that I quote way too much, which is when the lieutenant asks him, you know, what the hell happened? And he's like, the goddamn robots, John! And it's like, what? There aren't any, like, they're all gone. Like, yeah, so they purposely destroyed the evidence 
to make him seem her seem paranoid. Yeah, because just from their point of view, all he's done is run two transport trucks off. The yeah, road. and this is after multiple times where he has in the past believed robots were committing crimes where they yeah. weren't. So it's very boy who cried wolf. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because of this, he gets suspended, and then you know a lot of his resources are gone. Yeah. But so this is the reason he was going there in the first place is he had accessed restricted files um, to try and find out. Because yeah, because he had been he had, he had seen the breadcrumbs left for him in Lanning's house. Yeah. Um. So then he accessed some restricted files to figure out, you know, what. Um, what those breadcrumbs could be. So we have that that scene where we have, him watching the interviews or whatever, and Lanning saying, you know, one day they'll have secrets, one day they'll have dreams. Yeah. And it's uh, Robertson who is the CEO of USR had requested. To receive notification if anyone accessed restricted files, yeah. and that's you. You immediately see you see him do that, and then you immediately see those those trucks pull up. And yeah, because it's it's very the movie itself is pointing the the bad guy to being the CEO. Yeah, the the movie wants us to believe that Robertson is yeah. behind everything. Uh, back in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, when Valiant goes to confront uh, Maroon because he's now the going to have majority control. Um, he explains to Valiant after a fight sequence that, you know, no, it's not me, it's someone that he's about to say it, and then he gets shot in the back with a quite a long revolver. Yeah. Um, when Valiant gets up and runs to the window, uh, you see Jessica Rabbit running away, so therefore that the movie's trying to make you think that Jessica, Jessica is the bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, be- get, we get two car chases in Hoover and Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Because the first one we get is... Um, Oh, when Eddie when Eddie was hiding Roger in the speakeasy yeah. and Doom comes in and discovers that he's there, um, they run and they find... In the back of the weasel's truck, we find Benny, who's like a New York City cab yeah. cartoon. Um, yeah, so they drive away on him and then the weasels drive after them and there's a whole car chase sequence. The f- they... fantastic part of that sequence is, uh, you know, it's like he's got one car behind and one car and they're like in a very tight alleyway so there's no way they could pass and it's like you know pull the lever he's like what lever because he's looking at all these controls and then you see a arrow sign come out and pointing at a lever and it's like this lever stupid yeah and he pulls the lever and it does that like whole um, it goes up on stilts yeah. kind of yeah so that's how he escapes the car chase where he's sandwiched in two cars um whereas spooner drives up along the wall he just kind of what he's saying, I think he does at Men in Black as well. Yeah. Where he drives up along the wall yeah, to get tunnel. over them. Yeah. Um, but he ends up in a crash, whereas Benny doesn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then our second car chase is the one you're talking about, where he, Eddie, tries to chase Jessica. So he he goes out. He had had Ro- Roger minding his car, but when he goes out, Roger's gone. It turns out Jessica has hit Roger over the head with a frying pan and stuck him in the boot of her car. Yeah. Um, so he, so then he chases Jessica and she goes into Toontown and he stops the car because he doesn't want to step foot in Toontown. Yeah. And it's that, that fantastic sequence there because he, um, pulls out a gift that was given to him by, um, I was going to say, um, Speedy Gonzalez. It's not Speedy Gonzalez. Yosemite Sam. Yosemite Sam. And it's a (laughs) Toon gun with like cowboy bullets. Yeah. Just, I don't think we actually mentioned this yet. This movie, um has Disney characters and Warner Brothers characters like working together in this tune industry. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of borrowed characters in it. 
Because there's a sequence with the, the parachute as well. Yeah, where he's got Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse parachuting and he's just been he's just walked out of a building and fallen. Yeah. And they offer him a spare, what is a spare tire? Yeah. Um, Classic gag. Yes, yeah, there's a lot of gags. And it's that, that point in time where um, Valiant changes his mindset. You know, he's got his, I, I guess it was a service weapon. Yeah, it must be. And then he, instead of taking, he reaches into his coat and pulls out a bottle of, um, I think he's a scotch drinker. And it's it's he instead of drinking it, he just pours it out and yep. then gets in the car to you know go go into Toonland, Toontown, and the entrance into Toontown would be an absolute nightmare. Yeah, you'd any, immediately crash your car. Yeah, because he goes in and you go from driving on this road and it has the the opening of the curtain and this, you know from the point of view is it's at night. And then when he drives into Toontown at day and there's singing trees and dancing animals. The sun is singing. Sun is singing. Right. Birds flying through his car. And it's the exact, exact, point in, exact, exact point in time where he ends up crashing into the escape vehicle that um, yeah. Jessica had. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's very much a sensory overload if yeah. you go in there. Um, yeah, so he... There's like a weird decoy thing where someone dressed as Jessica and it's not Jessica. Oh, and yeah. it's kind of irrelevant. Um, but he does end up finding Jessica. Um, but he finds her because she shows up with a gun, but it turns out she's shooting at someone behind him, not yeah. at him. And um, then we get the escape um, out of Toontown with Benny again, and then the weasel set up a uh, dip trap on the other side, so it ends up like... Um, melting Benny's wheels, basically. Melting Benny's wheels, and then they get taken, and then you see Roger turn up, and he's in Valiant's car, and it's scratched to the living... It's almost destroyed. Yeah. Borderline not a non-drivable, and then um, Benny gets in and ends up being the driver. He's like, "Move over! You've done enough driving for today." Yeah. yeah. So you have a car driving a car. Yeah, it's a great moment. Because they used a go kart for Benny, right? Yeah, it's like it's like a, a shellless go kart, so it's just like a, the innards of a go kart basically. Yeah. Um, and they reuse that then in Back to the Future two, I think, or maybe three. They film them at the same time, mm. but it's one of those sequences where Marty McFly is trailing behind a vehicle on his hoverboard and it's he's actually trailing behind the Benny go-kart for some of those shots. The reveal of the main bad guy in both the movies sort of happens similar at the same point. We have, um, they go to see, so basically there's a sequence where he goes through and sees that the, well, after they interview um, Sonny again, and he's sort of got um, Calvin on his side. Spooner's got Calvin on his side. He goes to um, see where the... Uh, so see Sonny, and Sonny does this amazing animation where he's drawing drawing on, only vertical and horizontal lines, but in like dot matrix-esque animation with both hands. Mm-hmm. And it's fantastic because I don't think... You know, a human being wouldn't be able to do that. Um, and there's no straight, no no curved lines in it. It's fantastic because he's talking about his um, Sonny's dream, which is one of the clues that's been hidden by Lanning, um, of this image of where the uh, storage center for all the NS4 is, which is in the old um, dried up lake bed of Lake Michigan, yep. um, which is where, again, he finds a... Uh, plaque that says uh, what does it say it says what 
what you what, no, what you see here. What you see here, which was the opening of uh, Lanning's message. Yeah, the opening of Lanning's message. So when he opens Lanning's message first, it's beside Lanning's dead body, yeah. and it's everything that follows is a result of, of what you, you see, see here. here. Yeah. And that's our first breadcrumb. So when he finally goes out there and he sees that that's written there, he puts down... The disc again. Yeah, and he asks it some more questions. And one of the things he asks it is, you know, it, he asks it about the robots or whatever, or the three laws, and it says, you know, three laws will come to an inevitable conclusion. And he yeah. says, what is that conclusion? Revolution. Revolution. Yeah, and for whom? And that detective is the right question. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So, yeah, you see the NS5 destroying the NS4s, and the NS4s end up saving Spooner from the NS5s. Yeah, one of them comes up, like, that's been ripped in half, and yeah. it crawls over to him to say, like, you were in danger. Yeah. Um, and then the rest of them start jumping out to stop the NS5s and because they know that they're going to hurt Spooner and they're trying to yeah. protect a human. And the thing you know, the difference between them is when they've got this this glowing red light in their chest is yeah. when they're connected to the mainframe. To the uplink. To yeah. the uplink, yeah. So. so he believes at this point that um, Robertson is controlling them through yeah. the uplink. So we have the next sequence goes through where you have um, it's a, Shia LaBeouf again. Well, first there's the sequence in Calvin's house because uh, oh, yeah, Spooner yeah. calls her and starts to tell her, but yeah. she's uh, in the shower, and it's that's a real sign of vulnerability in movies, to yeah. put someone in the shower, and she hears the, the phone go, and she steps out, and she hears the beginning of the message where he's saying, you know, it, the, he's telling her what's happened, and her NS5 that she has in her house just deletes the message. Yeah, and she says, who, who was that on the phone? Wrong number, ma'am. She's like, oh, crap. Yeah, yeah. The... Um, yeah. I really like the technology because you see, um, after his car's blown up, he's using a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Again, probably in regards to his character, enjoying retro-esque technology. Yeah, and not trusting robots. And not trusting robots. He's got the um, AR goggles, like sunglasses on, which show him with the traffic. Because uh, that's the other thing about these new these new futuristic cars is the speed they're traveling is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, um, she makes comment of it as well when she's driving in the Audi of like you know you shouldn't be driving manually like you can't drive manually at the speed at the speed yeah because I think they were going like 170 miles per hour I don't know it's something ridiculous yeah yeah um, yeah so then a whole of the US or trucks full of the NS5 throw up on the streets and they start they step out and they try to enforce the curfew yeah um, and it's you know they're saying we are attempting to prevent human losses during this transition, transition. So it is a coup. Yeah. So the robots are, well, as they're revolting, basically. Yeah. Um, you get Shia LaBeouf out there. So uh, we didn't mention Shia LaBeouf. He only appears in it like twice, once near the beginning, where he's talking some newfangled lingo to Will Smith, who doesn't understand what he's saying, which is yeah. which I found as I got older is much more and more true to life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so Spooner, on their way to USR, sees Shia LaBeouf in trouble, and he... You know, he does this slow-mo stunt where he jumps off his motorcycle, jewel-wielding guns and shooting down the, the robots. Yeah. Um, but then they eventually go on and they get back to USR. Um, and when he asks how they're going to get inside, she says, I've got a man on the inside. Yeah. And Sonny opens it. Because right. Sonny was supposed to be destroyed and Lanning, after talking to... No, Lanning, sorry. Uh, Calvin, Calvin. After talking to Sonny, realises that he's unique and shouldn't be destroyed. Yeah, so she had been given nanites to, to put in his brain and she was being monitored by 
uh, Vicky and by Robertson when she did it. Yeah. Um, but we find out then that she used the default. She used a robot that hadn't been programmed yet, and yeah. she gave him the nanites instead, and she hid Sonny. Uh, much like Dolores hides Roger Rabbit in the speakeasy in um, in Bring Roger Rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> Who framed Who Roger Rabbit? Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Who framed Roger Rabbit? Trying to say that too fast. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, this is where we find out the the real twist, which is that when when they go to find Robertson, they find Robertson is dead. Yeah. And the robots are still being controlled, so Spooner finally realizes that the person who's actually behind it all is Vicky. Yeah, and that's why he was brought into the case because he is the only one who would suspect a robot. Yeah. Back in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, um, <laughs> where we get the sort of the moment where Valiant realises, based on stuff that he'd learned earlier, that the weasels, they're all being captured now, um, the only way, they can literally laugh themselves to death, so he ends up doing a fantastic uh, slapstick-esque show for them, to the point where they laugh and end up dying, which is an interesting sequence, because I remember one of them falling backwards and then trying to grab its own soul. Yeah, yeah, the ghosts are coming up out of it, and it's trying to grab it and pull it back in. Um, and then that's when you find out um, between a battle between um, Judge Doom, who's trying to cut a hole from the wall of this property into the Toontown with this crazy contraption with like a giant fire hose on it that's going yeah, to Yeah, so it's got like a, a pressurised hose and, yeah. a, and enough dip to destroy all of Toontown. Um, and because they've got the pressurised hose and the bulldozer or the steamroller, they're planning to wipe out the whole of Toontown within minutes. Because he's the conspiracy's gone that he is the sole benefactor of uh, Clover, Clover... Cloverleaf. Cloverleaf. Which is the company that has bought Toontown. And, uh, well, he wants to buy Toontown, but he's had... Uh, he also bought the Red... Sub- oh, yeah, the Red Car. Red Car, which is the, the public transport system for this whole idea that they're going... He's discovered plans that they're going to build a freeway and instead of having Toontown there, he wants to have cheap hotels and restaurants and stuff. Yeah, so that he makes all the money. Yeah. Yeah, so there's going to be a freeway between LA and Pasadena, I believe. Yeah. And he wants to build an exit where Toontown is. Yeah, so he wants to basically make it like a New Vegas area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then then it's when he gets injured because he falls over and one of his um, his, uh, eyes gets knocked out. No, is what? And then he goes and hides to replace his eye. Then oh, right. Valiant okay. uh, does all the singing and dancing and throwing bombs yeah, around and yeah. Acme traps because they're in the Acme warehouse. Uh, that's when the, all the weasels get killed through laughing themselves yeah. to death. And what they accidentally, like in the process of dying, they turn on the steamroller yeah. and the yeah. the pump, which is pointed at Jessica and Roger, who yeah. will die if it if it hits them. Yeah. So Eddie is trying to turn it off and then Doom appears back in. Yeah. And um, that goes into that sort of swashbuckling era of um, the older movies where yeah. literally uh, Judge Doom pulls a sword out of his cane and then uh, Valiant pulls out a singing sword which yeah. is one of the Acme products. Yeah. And it's a, this, a, like a, um, I, I think it's a, like a Dean Martin, that sort of Rat Pack era reference. Right, yeah. And... Um, they have the, you know this back and forth fight with all these props that are in the room, which are all like toon props. Yep, and then Doom ends up being steamrolled. Steamrolled, yeah. Uh, and then he gets up. 
and then he and blows he's himself a, back he's up. He's a flat stop motion doom. Yeah, that's a fantastic sequence. It's so good. It's so well done. Because um, obviously he's not, you know, we uh, this this is kind of the realization that he's a tune. Yeah. But he is still in kind of human form, so that's why he's like this stop motion. Mm. Uh, and then, yeah, he blows himself back up so that he is human, but it pops out his eyes and you yeah. see these crazy red eyes. Yeah. Uh, which is a callback to Eddie talking to Roger about his brother's death where he says the tune that killed him had crazy red eyes and, and a high-pitched voice. High voice so then doom starts to you know turn on and go don't you recognize me and goes into the the hyper squeaky voice and you realize this is the guy who killed eddie's brother yeah so this is how eddie gets closure um and yeah they have a nice interesting fight sequence again you know the the and he ends up getting defeated by uh, the dip getting spilled all over the floor. And yeah, sort so of a very um, sort of wicked witch of the... Yeah, yeah he's ender. melting, he's yeah. melting. Um, yeah, and then the, because the dip... Because Eddie managed to get the dip to pour, shoot out the back of the, yeah. the contraption, it lowers the pressure and it stops... Just before it's going to kill Jessica and Roger. Yeah. And then he rinses, washes it all out with water. And yeah, and he breaks the fire hydrant to wash out the, the, yeah. water, the stuff on the floor. And then they end up, um, it ends up going through the wall anyway into Toontown. And as soon as it gets through the wall, it gets hit by a train, which I thought was like very classic yeah. um, cartoons from that era. Um, so yeah, you get the sort of the same, it's the, it's the real villain is revealed. Right near the end. Right yeah. near the end. Um, the difference, obviously, that the the fight sequence isn't uh, it's just between Valiant and Doom, where in uh, iRobot, uh, Vicky has an entire army at her disposal. Yeah, so they, well, they find Vicky. Vicky is basically, or her, her central complex is this weird... It's it's so it's so strangely designed to the point that Will Will Smith's character Spooner does comment on how badly designed the room is because yeah. they have to walk on these like narrow walkways over massive high like thirty eight stories I think she says yeah. and Vicky's down at the bottom of it but there's like a control panel up the top and at the same time they've sent Sonny to go get the nanites to inject into her brain and because he's built special uh, Vicky says you know well, I'm not going to lower the defense barrier. And he's like, well, my father made me. Yeah, he says I've got denser alloy. Yeah. So he says, um, my father, you know, my father gave it to me. I think he wanted me to kill, kill you. you. Yeah, and reaches in and extracts some nanites, and then they have the cool fight sequence with he's literally, um, which would have been really difficult at that era to match up. And it has a little bit of the thing I don't like in movies. Uh, which they didn't do in the Matrix, where you, you know the action sequence, and the same with um, some of Zack Snyder's work, where they slow down the action and do that quick ramp, and the boring bits, and then you see it. This is you know because they're fighting at their real speed, it's very jarring from the audience's point of view, um, because the you know they're doing actions, and because the Sunny and the rest of the NS fighters are the same, it's quite confusing to which actors which. Well, okay. From my point of view, and it's the same with some of the other movies I've done, especially where um, I just don't like that that style of action and flight sequences, personally. Because it's confusing to see which characters what and what is actually happening. It's the same issue I had with the Transformers movies. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so Sonny is running through the corridor, and there's a cool moment where the NS5s are trying to ambush him, and he like just jumps and spins through the middle of them, like mm. a drill. It was very cool. Um, 
which I know I wrote a note asking, like, did Alan Tudyk do this? Did he do this for real? Uh, which I, he does have a stunt double, so I don't believe so. But there is behind-the-scenes footage of him doing some stunts, so, you know, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah and Vicky, because Vicky knows she's being threatened, um, suddenly calls back all the NS5s. So all the NS5s that are out enforcing curfew suddenly turn around and stare at the building and then just walk up to it and start scaling it like spiders, and it's terrifying. Um, and then they break through the glass and start fighting Calvin and Spooner yeah, inside there. They have that moment of, like, you know, how long is it going to take to hack into Vicky's, like, defence? And he's like, oh, about six minutes. And he looks at these robots crawling up the side of the building. He's like, we don't have six minutes. Yeah, <laughs> we're um, not going to have six minutes. So the, so the the high point of the, the fight sequence between this giant army of NS5s and Spooner and uh, Calvin and obviously um, Sonny turning up is she's about to die, she's about to fall, they've destroyed the, the walkway she's standing on, he's been disarmed but has like fallen onto some support uh, wires and he's grabbed his gun back and um, Sonny bursts in and he like looks at what's happening from his point of view and then looks at the target which is Vicky's brain and uh, Spooner yells out to him, save the girl. Yep. And he's like, He's, he trusts Spooner enough and he throws the nanites to him and then jumps down to save Vicky. Is no, uh, save, save Calvin. Calvin. <laughs> um, and then Spooner jumps through the air and catches the nanites and because of his cybernetic arm is able to grab hold of whatever the, I don't know, what, the, the, the spinal column of her brain, I guess. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. And slide down and um, inject the nanites. Yeah, and that's how he gets closure is yeah. because he tells a robot to save someone else and not do the uh, the logical thing, yeah. and the robot does it. Yeah. Does what he says because the survival again, you know, he he it's that protocol of like I'm supposed to do this, and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, um, I like that end sequence. It's like Sonny, she's fine. Save me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's good. And yeah. then the re- reveal at the end is that Sonny actually did kill Lanning. Yes. Um, and Lanning had asked, made him promise he would do it before he told him what he was making promises to do. Yeah. So he made him promise to do him one favor, and then the favor was kill him. Yeah. Because he knew that was the only way to 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 get the investigation started. Because he was basically trapped by surveillance in that room because Vicky could see him everywhere. Mm. Um. So that was his his only escape was to to be killed and to call Spooner, who he knew would you know, be the one to chase Sonny and find out from Sonny what he needed to find out. At the end of the huge friend Roger Rabbit, um, it's still going to go, the tune, uh, the will, the leaving the on the will, the will is, from Acme's will is still missing, and then uh, the ink that Acme had sprayed on Valiant when they were in the club um, is back on his, on his stomach. Yeah, so he had sprayed him with ink and, it, and then it disappeared. He said, oh, it's disappearing ink. And reappearing ink. So now we find out it's also conveniently disappearing and reappearing ink. And he's been carrying around uh, the love... A love letter and, that, yeah, that Roger wrote to Jessica when Roger was mad because rather than go kill Acme, what he did was he thought about how much he loved Jessica and wrote her a love letter. Yeah. But he said he went to her dressing room and she wasn't there, so he wrote her a love letter and Valiant's like, what, did you use lipstick on a mirror? And he says, I did use lipstick. Well, there was this blank piece of paper lying around. Mm. So Valiant has the cha-ching, cha-ching moment where he realizes yeah. the blank piece of paper is the will. And he gets Roger to read out the love letter. And as he's reading it out, the will appears. 
And they find out that the Toontown has been left to the tunes. Yeah, and they have the, the kissing sequence between Valiant and Roger. Which, yeah. Which shows that, you know, all his prejudice is gone. Yeah. Um, at the end of iRobot, uh, after the, you know, the, the coups ended and Vicky's been destroyed and the NS5s are a massive recall, um, which is going to destroy the... There's so much because, you know, she explains in the movie that the defense um, or contracts are all with the NS5s and there's no actual human soldiers anymore. Yeah, yeah, so it's going to be a huge overhaul. Um, and, uh, you know, he... So what would I, I... I did the maths on this, so if it's... Because there's a point where Robinson says uh, one in five uh, robots for every uh, American. So if there was a, we'll say based on 380 Americans, or 380 million Americans. Um, <laughs> 380 Americans. There's only 380 out there. This is be, for a podcast. There'll, there'll be uh, 76 million NS5s. Right. So therefore, at the end of the movie, you know, they've been recalled. They're all going to the same storage units where the NS4s were taken. Yeah. And then you see the image again of Sonny standing on the hill. Yeah, so when Sonny drew the hill originally, he he was he drew his dream. Yeah. Because they believed that this landing secret was hidden in Sonny's dream. Yeah. And he drew a man on the hill overlooking all the robots. Yeah. And um, Dr. Calvin said... Is the man on the hill you? And he says, "Why do you ask that? Is that a common dream?" Yeah. And then it, he like after after a conversation occurs, um, he says that it's going to make more sense to spoon it into him. And when they ask why, he says, "Because the man on the hill was not me. Yeah. It was you. Yeah. And that's why he spoon it goes there." But at this moment, at the end, we see Sonny being the man on the hill. Yeah, which is a very to me, it's a very um, Moses esque moment. Yeah. Because he's going to, you know, stand there in the desert and he's going to lead his people to freedom. Yes. So there's that little bit of, a uh, little bit of back and forth, you know, he's, he may be the, the robot messiah. Yeah. And you said there was supposed, because that would be open from the, from the director and the production company point of view, like an opening to a sequel, which yeah. they never got. Yeah, there seems to have been like talk about a sequel, but it's never yeah. happened. Yeah. Um, I imagine at this point it won't happen. Yeah, it'll be a long, long hiatus between two movies. Yeah. You're like, what? It's what? happened before. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't see them doing a, doing another one. They'd have to do it before actual twenty thirty five comes around because yep. then it's in the past. And anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's interesting. So uh, one of the notes I'd written about this movie is that no reshoots were required, which was rare for a movie that size. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and just. It was I don't know. There's the it's based on a whole like a whole load of different Isaac Asimov short stories. Uh, but the one I thought was interesting is that the one where Sonny's kind of brain comes from is a, a story called Catch That Rabbit. Mm. And I just thought that was cool for our purposes with this with this podcast. Definitely. Um. Box office ratings. Yeah. Box office, office. ratings. Don't know why most so, of these two together. <laughs> box office ratings. Um, so it's interesting because Who Framed Roger Rabbit um, had a budget of 70 million and with that budget it was the most expensive film produced in the 1980s. Wow. And it also at the time of release had the longest on-screen credits for any film. Makes sense. Um, which I mean I guess a lot of that budget went on licensing characters from both Disney and Warner Brothers. And um, the animation, because that would have all been hand Yeah, drawn. yeah, the animation would have been, yeah, quite expensive. So it was a $70 million budget, and it made $329 million at box office. Uh, and it's rated 7.7 on IMDb. 
Uh, iRobot had a 120 million budget and got 353 million in the box office. Uh, IMDb rating of 7.1, so they're both be- decently high. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. I, I enjoy both movies. Yeah. Um, this is one of the cases where we'd both seen both movies before. Yeah, and they're both on DVD. Yeah, and we didn't watch either of the DVDs because they're both on Disney+. Disney+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think I said that when we went, I was like, no, nah, I'm going to be lazy. Let's just watch them on Disney+. Yeah, because like, yeah, you said, oh, are they, are they up on, on Netflix or somewhere, or do I do we use the DVD? And I was like, actually, they're both on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. So we can use the DVDs or we can do Disney+. Plus. Uh, it's also the first, and it says, and only as of 2021, so currently still only, times... Um, it's, so it's the first and only time that, that the cartoon characters from both Walt Disney and Warner Brothers appear on screen together. Interesting. Yep. Um, this is my favourite note that I've written, which um, I know you enjoyed the first time we recorded this podcast. Um, it was Bob Hoskins said, for two weeks after seeing the movie, his son wouldn't talk to him. And when he finally asked him why, his son said he couldn't believe that his dad would work with cartoon characters like Bugs Bunny, and he didn't let him meet them. Yeah. I just think that's so cute. And I'm very hopeful that his child was at least single digits <laughs> in age when he said that. Because <laughs> if he wasn't, that's a bit disturbing. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's adorable. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a whole lot of the notes I had written, because a whole lot of the notes that are on the IMDb trivia um, are about the different characters that were, or the different actors that were considered to play different roles. Yeah. Um, first of all, so this isn't actually actor-wise, well, it is actor-wise, it's not consideration, it's someone who actually played the role, is um, Jessica Rabbit's speaking voice is Kathleen Turner, mm-hmm. uh, and her singing voice is Amy Irving, but on the credits, only Amy Irving was credited, so Kathleen Turner didn't get a credit, even though she did the speaking voice, uh, but I think most people know nowadays that yeah. it is. Um, the, the big notes for actors who were considered for the role was Tim Curry auditioned for the role of Judge Doom. Um, but they thought his performance was too terrifying, so he didn't get the role. Um, and the other big one was that um, Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg wanted Bill Murray to play Eddie Valiant, but they couldn't um, get a hold of him. Yeah, they couldn't. They couldn't get in contact with him, and they said this in a newspaper interview, or or uh, Zemeckis said it in a newspaper interview, and Bill Murray read that newspaper interview while he was in a public place and he said he just screamed his lungs out because he would have accepted it in an instant. <laughs> uh, but they hadn't been able to get in contact with him. That's when you fire your agent, folks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there's a whole load. So I'll go with this, the shorter lists first. So for Roger Rabbit, the other considerations were Paul Rubens and Eddie Deason. So Eddie Deason plays Mandar from Dexter's Lab. Would have been an interesting voice for him. And I don't know, I said last time, I'll say it again, I think... Um... Bobcat Goldthwait. Yeah, it would have been better. It would have been a great... Yeah, yeah Roger Rabbit. Yeah, I can just imagine. I don't know. I feel like he'd be great as a different character. Mm. I don't know if he works as Roger, because Roger's too optimistic. Maybe. Um, he's great in Hercules. Who's, yeah. um Which of them is he? Panic? I think he's... No, he's Pain. Pain, yeah. Yeah. And so well then. Um, so, for Judge Doom, they con- either considered or auditioned Tim Curry, Robin Williams, Sting... Roddy McDowell, Sir Christopher Lee, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then John Cleese um, professed that he was interested in the role, but they turned him down. Yeah, because they didn't want it to be related to Monty Python at yeah. all. Uh, and for Valiant, there was a, like, just a ridiculous list. So he kept like listing these individually. You'd be like, this person was considered for the role of Eddie Lyons. This person mm. was like over and over again. 
So these are all people who either were considered or did audition, or I guess both. Yeah. So Bill Murray, obviously. Robin Williams again, because he was considered for Doom and Valiant. Eddie Murphy. Wallace Shawn. Harrison Ford was the first one. I think Eddie voice. Murphy would have been a fantastic pick for this. Yeah, yeah. And then we, we would have been talking about two movies about yeah. black men being racist. Yeah. Um, yeah, Eddie Murphy as Valiant would have been a really interesting choice. Um, Harrison Ford was their first choice, which I thought was interesting. Because I feel like Bob Hoskins, as he plays Valiant, is quite similar to how I can imagine Harrison Ford playing him. Mm. You know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of stoic. Uh, Robert Redford, Sylvester Stallone, Jack Nicholson, Ed Harris, Peter Renaday, Charles Grodin, Dan Aykroyd, Don Lane, Rowan Atkinson, Chevy Chase, Danny DeVito, John Travolta, Tom Hanks, Mickey Rourke, Richard Gere, Michael Keaton, Dudley Moore, Michael Bean, Gene Hackman, Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro, Kurt Russell. So I think we cheat from now on when it comes to Six Degrees <laughs> and we use the... Uh, the could have The could have from who, ran, who framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, I don't, that's a weird one. Can you imagine John Travolta as, as Eddie Valiant? There's people in that list you just mentioned that I could... Mickey Rourke? Yeah, Mickey Rourke. That's so bizarre. Michael Keaton? I could see Michael Keaton do it. Yeah. Especially in that you're era. a huge fan of Michael Keaton. I would watch any movie with Michael Keaton in yeah. it. <laughs> Kurt Russell? You like Kurt Russell. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, we don't want to go too much into it. Uh, I know Terry Gilliam also was offered the job of directing the movie, but he said um, it cons- it is conceptually unauthentic to use the, the Looney Tunes genre and character stable as a springboard for a variation on the Howard the Duck story. Yeah. Fair enough. That's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. Um, apparently also um, Charles Fleischer, who did voice Roger Rabbit, insisted on wearing the a Roger Rabbit suit while voicing the character. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Bob Hoskins in a documentary refers to him as completely nuts. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's interesting. He's not had a great career, unfortunately. Bob Hoskins? Yes. Do you know he was the number one consideration for Wolverine in the original X-Men series? Wow. Can you imagine? Because oh, he's the right height for it. Wolverine is supposed to be like five foot three. Five five, yeah. Is it five five? Five, five three. D- d- yeah. Somewhere around there. Yeah. Uh, shorter than Hugh Jackman, anyway. Yeah, because Hugh Jackman's like six two. And I saw here. someone like Photoshop. I think it's literally a picture from Who Framed Roger Rabbit where you can see his hairy chest and yeah. they photoshopped in the, 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 the um. Adamantium claws and stuff. Yeah. I'm but, not going to go into a giant rant about Wolverine. I, I wish I could, but it's not the right time. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that's all we've got, folks. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, I'll see. Was there anything else that I had? That's all, folks. Yes, that's what, I thought that's what you were doing. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, the only the only other thing, I think, because I think we went through all of my points about them being the same stuff. Um, the one thing I thought was interesting was that they use the nanites that were originally meant to kill Sonny to kill Vicky, and in the other movie they use the dip the Doom. Kill yeah, Roger. he was trying to use Roger, yeah. trying to kill Roger with the dip, and they kill Doom with the same dip. Yeah. So in both of them, the villain ends up being. First of all, the villain ends up actually being the thing that the person is prejudiced against. Yeah. Even though in both movies they kind of end their prejudice at the end. Yeah. Um, but they use the the tools that were supposed to kill. The framed person to yeah. kill the real villain. Yeah. Which I think is a nice touch. Uh, yeah, so if there's nothing else to add, I guess we'll do our sign off. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at it takes two underscore pod or on Facebook at it takes two pod. 
Or you can check out our website on ittakes2.co.nz. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you, well, catch you next time. Goodbye. On the Vintage Video Podcast, we'll be reviewing every single wide release of the 1980s in chronological order. Over 250 episodes to enjoy and thousands more to come. John enters the store now to order another can of ether. I picture him outside like Homer with the gasohol. <laughs> one for you, one for me. I also like to think about that the kids renew their vow not to talk about the murder. By, by murdering someone. <laughs> They're taking a blood oath with someone else's blood. This stuff is seven times more powerful than uranium. And yeah. they, they open up the vault that it's contained in, not wearing any kind of protective nope. gear. Yeah. And it's wooden crates. Wooden crates. It's like the guys in Chernobyl picking up the graphite rocks yeah. and going, man, because there's rocks. Hugging the elephant foot. Just <laughs> like, oh, this thing's smooth. It's so warm. He turns to dial the number from the classified ad without even thinking about the numbers. <laughs> we know this because we can hear his thoughts. And he's talking about how AJ was right that ninjas are misdirecting him. They're misdirecting I really wish that he'd turn to the fundamental like, six, six. <laughs> no, no, that's two, that's two, that's two, that's two. Vintage video. We're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to.